0: I have an idea for the worst romantic comedy that would ever be made that would make a billion dollars. What do you secure got? Secure me my samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> it's called uh, It's called Push Pull and it's about a Democratic and Republican strategist oh. who fall, in, fall in love during a presidential campaign but then they find out like Russia is involved with the Republican one and they like team up to stop it and the vice president uh, on the Republican ticket is like a John McCain stand in and he like, they arrest the Republican candidate. And then there's like a weird scene at the end where they're at, uh, th- it's Bradley Cooper and Alexandra DiDario, by the way, oh my uh, God. Daddario is a Republican. Cooper is a Democrat. And they're like, they pass some like weird, shitty bipartisan bill. That's like kids from the inner city can like go to Dalton. Or something. <laughs> and they're all at the wedding and John McCain is dancing with them. And they're like, hey, this is really great.
1: There's still an execution at the end because both sides agree that death penalty should still exist. <laughs> yes, yes. No, there is a, there is an execution in real time
0: of a lethal injection gone wrong. It's actual it's like footage.
1: It's actual footage of a real execution. You cut a hole in the edit of the movie. And yeah. it's
2: like, okay, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm envisioning as the plungers on the poison go down uh, that like a Bradley Cooper and Alexander Daddario, they high five freeze frame Kenny Loggins song rolls. And then you do bloopers over the end credits.
1: This is it. Make no mistake. <laughs> or as the plunger goes down on the yeah. lethal injection, the blinds yeah. on their loft apartment in Soho come up. Yeah. So and like, then the Kenny Loggins song plays, but covered by someone more recent. Yeah. Someone cheaper.
0: Um, yeah. There, there's so like Bradley Cooper has a daughter he's a single dad in this obviously and his daughter is like a <laughs> internet like sjw and like Cooper and Dario are arguing and they're and he's like well at least I believe in science and she's like uh Oh, oh! Is is uh, is economics no longer a science or some shit? <laughs> and then the daughter goes like, uh this is so heteronormative!" And they both say, "Shut up!" at the same time. That's like oh, a that's a
1: great trailer theme. moment. Maybe there, we, there, ju- yeah, just shoot that moment, put out the trailer, and then when people go to watch it, it's just you on like cell phone video in a chair going, "There's no movie." But hear me <laughs> out. <I lied. laughs> Sorry, hear me out, and why I need a samurai sword. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's, just, it's a video
0: of me with like a wooden practice samurai sword, and it's like this is what I would do with the real thing. It's like me stopping muggings.
1: <laughs> Whatever happened to Curtis Lee? is he still alive? Oh yeah, he, he's around. Yeah, yeah, he was like a Trump guy. How he is like, he not a congressman? I mean, he just
3: doesn't have the drive.
0: Yeah, he's yeah, he's like I. I did see, I saw like um, there is some there is like an old Ron Paul video I used to watch where Ron Paul is like on who is Morton Downey Jr. Right? Hell yeah, hell yeah, yeah. 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 And um, like he's like anti-war on drugs, and it's it's kind of like an interesting video because it's when like ninety-five percent of people were like. If you smoke pot, you should be executed and they should end your (laughs) family bloodline. And that's just, I'm a moderate and yeah, no. Um, And he's just like, Ron Paul is just getting screamed at for being like anti war on drugs. And one of the guardian angels is in the crowd and yells at him. And the comments are cool because, like, you know, this stupid guardian angel outfit with all the symbols
3: the red beret.
0: They're like, look, they're not even hiding it. They're in the Freemasons. (laughs) (laughs) No, those are just normal stupid
1: people. It's when conspiracy theories were, like, adorable.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to join the
1: Freemasons after I make this movie. Get the samurai sword, join the Freemasons, and that's it. Iris out. (laughs) Iris out like a (laughs) 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 motherfucker. We didn't even begin this conversation, did we? We went no. right to Samurai Sword to push pull, uh, which push pull, <laughs> by the way, is rated NC seventeen. Yeah, the okay. yeah, that there's a yeah.
3: pull, full penetration sex scenes in it. That's a yeah. yeah. big component.
2: And this it's is like a big 17. part of how to revolutionize Hollywood in the 21st century. Like R rated movies need to start having full penetration in them with, yeah. with real actors and their their real
1: genitals. And it's just standard there's an intimacy coordinator on set you just bang it out it's part of the business you need a 20 minute full penetration scene any big yeah. hollywood like you're not being responsible if you don't have that in your movie like you don't yeah. get the you don't get the business of movies if you don't have that yeah i'm glad I,
0: i'm glad you understand it like ruins people's immersion if it's just like they kiss and you cut away the next morning
1: like <laughs> no like what did they do i do want to bring back the rated x rating Like, I do think that is the coolest of all the ratings. Like, wasn't Midnight uh, Cowboy? Midnight
3: Cowboy was an X, yeah. Yeah, The only X to win uh, Best Picture.
1: I got to get a poster of that. The fact that there's an actual poster with an X on it. Well, they probably said not rated, I'm guessing.
0: Not rated. That was like when I was... Not yet rated was cool when I was a kid because I always, like, I assumed it was like, oh, they're making a really fucked up scene between (laughs) the trailer and now.
1: I want not able to be rated. I want that to be like said about a movie I've done. No humans could determine a rating for this. Yeah. (laughs) But yes, I'm in Sam mission samurai sword. Well, (laughs) I suppose we should uh, uh, officially
2: start the show. This is now the uh, get Felix a samurai sword podcast and project, but uh, it's Chapo. And of course, joining us today is Adam McKay. Who's uh, back again. And uh, Adam, uh, you know, after conquering Hollywood, um, guess that's not good enough for him. Is now moving into the podcast game, and we are going to talk a little bit about uh, his your new podcast called "Death at the Wing," which I was surprised to learn is actually not a true crime series about a series of murders at the popular women's only uh, young professional working space, but Uh, is indeed uh, actually about um, basketball and the culture of America and its politics in the 1980s, but. Adam, before we get into that, it's a little bit of breaking news. I was wondering if uh, you had a comment on. Comes courtesy of the New York Times. uh, Major, one of Biden's German shepherds, will be sent away for training after biting incidents. Uh, Adam, (sighs) is it time to uh, terminate Major's command with extreme prejudice? Or uh, have we been coddling this dog
1: too long? God damn, that's huge. I kind of wish you guys had told me that was going on because we could have rescheduled. I got to process like 40 things right now. I think like, you know, look, America's become a bit unmoored of late. And I think we need like clear right and wrong and laws and consequences. I think a very tastefully done Euthanization of major, like if it was done, and keep in mind, don't take this out of context, done in a responsible way with proper warnings to show that you can't behave that way, that there are rules even for the presidential dog. And maybe it's pay per view, maybe there's a, you know, maybe it's streamed, whatever, but I think that's the only way to handle this. Otherwise, I feel like Biden's going to just come off like. A, a socialist, a weak need socialist. Like he needs to take a strong line here.
0: I like that. They, I like that they have like. There's like a dog Rosemary Kennedy. We're <laughs> <laughs> gonna, like, gonna like major. Lobotomize major yeah, put <laughs> <laughs> an ice bath right so, f-
2: so fucked up. A dog Billy Carter. <laughs> it says here uh, uh, major the biden's younger dog will undergo some additional training to help him adjust to life in the white house said michelle a oh, spokesman for jill biden uh the off-site private training will take place in the washington area and is expected to last a few weeks now i just want to make it clear here that uh, a common side effect of this dog training is that major will possibly return a different size shape and color but just don't be surprised Major is fine. He's going to be a
3: good boy.
1: We're going to start freeze-framing pictures of Major to see slight changes in the spots, like the black against gray. Wait, wait. So I don't get it. So Major was the one who's savable. Who's the one who's no
3: longer in the White House? Champ? Champ. I think been- they're both gone now because they're both going ham. <laughs> They've both I, been I compromised to a permanent end. stop it. I think what's going to happen is I think that the two weeks are going to uh elapse majors not coming back and then eventually somebody in the white house press corps is going to ask at a press conference what happened to major and they're going to say uh what's major uh what <laughs> <Who>? <laughs> we never had a dog named major and then yeah, everyone will, be- will just agree and you'll uh, actually be racist if you say that major ever existed
0: yeah there will be articles in the new york times that are like why are journalists like gaslighting us there was never a <laughs> dog like this is abusive uh they they're gonna bring it back and it will be it'll be like my mom's dog, like one of those dogs that just bred to have like rounded teeth. Like he can't even attack anyone if it wanted to.
3: I like sometimes that he, went
0: that a little,
1: he went a little right wing with his dogs. Like he had to do the shepherd. <laughs> By the way, I have a shepherd mix. I love shepherds, but there's a statement behind it. Like how many hours do you think were spent, or maybe it's minutes, naming the dog champ? Like, how long was that just disc- was the dog already named before he came in? Or was it a dog they got for the present? I have no idea how this dog.
0: That's, I, no, he always had those dogs. And it's like, oh, he did that's that. Okay. That's all signaling, kind of like unintentional signaling by Biden, because like Biden is from another era, like that type of guy, the type of guy who like. You know, I you know I like bullshitting with the boys, but like when I talk to my fifty year old son, I'm like, I love you, my sweet sugar angel. You're my most handsome guy in the world. I always knew it. And you, you know, you have two huge dirty dogs that you name like, yeah, Rover and Major. But then the next generation of Democrats, like the guys after Joe Biden, like they have some weird protracted relationship with their son because like the son went to Tish and they wanted him to go to Tufts or some stupid bullshit. And, like, yeah, their dog is named Thelonious. And they got him a Peter. Joe Biden just like found his fucking dogs.
3: Yeah, they like, just like showed yeah. up at his front door one day. And he's like, all right, yeah. fine.
0: Yeah, like that's a generational thing. But I do, I do like it is sort of charming to me that he has such shitty dogs. <laughs> they're so poorly behaved. Like, it's awesome.
1: It is. We had a rescue, uh, our last rescue who died like a year and a half ago was named pumpkin. My daughters named him and he was a shepherd mix and right out of the gate, he bit three or four people and that was it. He was done. Like he ni- <laughs> By the way, he nipped him. He did the front teeth kind of nip, like tear the clothes a little bit. It wasn't actual attacks, but like at that point I even had to tell my kids, like, we can't do this anymore. And they cried so hard that we did the trainer who saved his life, like who got him in line enough. He was always a lunatic. Sweetheart to us. But uh yeah, I, I kind of with you on that. I like I like people that have screwed-up dogs. I I I feel immediately at home if I come over to someone's house and there's dog crap on the floor of their living room.
0: Yeah. In. Yeah. I respect people who are really good at training their dogs. And like it does show, like, that's probably what you should do. And if the dog isn't freaking out it does show like a level of comfort and like love. But when you just like have no idea what the fuck you're doing and you're like, yeah, let's just like get another. So he has a friend and now you just have like two (laughs) dogs and freak out all the time. It is like, ah, well that's like, it shows like a level of simplicity in a person
1: that it's real. I think what you're saying is it's one little drip of reality in a completely curated environment. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll take it i'll take it
3: i'm hungry enough for it
1: i welcome it yeah absolutely let's just like, give him a rocket like,
3: launcher it'll calm him down a little bit let's strap it <laughs> to his uh, neck
0: yeah like there were there were no that is sort of the fucked up thing about trump that he like hates animals yeah and it's like baron probably wanted like a fucked up he probably wanted like a monitor lizard oh that'd be great <laughs> like, and, and there, yeah there's just none in there obama had the Portuguese water dogs, like, that's what I had growing up. And that is, like, that's such signaling because it's, like, I know how I grew up. (laughs) I I grew up in an annoying neighborhood. I was an annoying kid. And that's, like, yeah, an upper-middle-class dog. But I don't know. Yeah, it's cool to have, like, an actual horrified, fucked-up animal in there.
1: I want someone to come into the White House, get, like, you know, a five-different-breed combo mutt, Kind of a little bit ugly. One of those dogs that's always panting, and just chain it up in the front lawn. <laughs> be that, be that family that just doesn't give a shit, and it digs holes, and then there's worn dirt around the pole that it's chained to, and crap yeah. everywhere. It's just, it's just tied to an engine block on the uh,
2: in the rose garden. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I like, you know what the next step is? Like, this is how you know you have a completely normal president if they have like a golden retriever or lab that's about 50 pounds overweight and is like so unhealthy that its fur is oily and just smells fucking terrible and the president claims that it's like mixed with pit bull and very strong (laughs) and like ends up accidentally killing it by trying to get it high
1: (laughs) I want one president to have a dog where all the hair on the back end is, like, scratched off. <laughs> like, that yeah. look. I love that look.
0: Yeah, it's, like, that is beautiful to me when someone has a dog that just serves no purpose. Like, it's just, like, it's like a guy with dementia. It's just so fucked up. Because, that, like, you purely love that dog. Because that dog is such a fucking pain in the ass to have. You have to go to the doctor so much. It's like living with a 98-year-old grandparent. Yeah, you but bought it's like it means you really love him.
1: You bought a sick, a sick creature, basically. Yeah, like, I want a, a seriously ill creature in my life. Yeah, that's like pretty much all dogs though. Like our first dog when I was a kid, last three years it was in that state. All the hair scratched off it, half blind. And you're kind of like you're so into it at that point. We still loved it like crazy. I think that dog lived to be like some crazy age, like 16, which is like a lot for a dog. Yeah, that was
0: my my dog growing up. It was like, yeah, Portuguese water dog. And like the last like four years of her life, she had no eyesight and would just like walk into chairs. And anytime she saw like really any animal she would just freak out and try to kill it <laughs> it was like <laughs> like she was she had like severe social anxiety she was just so fucked up by the end of her life but it was like no this is the greatest most beautiful dog in the world
1: do you think I there was her. ever a discussion no wait i'm always curious did obama get those
3: dogs before the white house or after no they I got like, them for the white house that was a classic uh, pr deal you know, Calvin Coolidge had uh, raccoons in the White House.
2: Really? That's fucking cool. Wait, yeah, wait, not, not just as like a pest. Like they they were just in the no, walls? No, as
3: They were pets. <laughs> he had two. Come he on. Had two raccoons. Rebecca and Ruben were their names. Wait that's a minute.
1: Awesome. I didn't. They not- were named yeah. Rebecca and Ruben. Were they really? Yeah. This is like Grey Gardens, basically. Did he <laughs> yes, have an old? No, <laughs> get it. no,
3: Coolidge had the most <laughs> pets of any president. He had like five, six, eight dogs. Uh, different types, like a bunch of collies and a German, sh- like the fucking Queen of England. And then he also had uh, a goose. He had a <laughs> small tiger. He had a. Why is he fucking <laughs> Scarface?
2: Jesus, yes. <laughs> he, he was like he was like a
0: Russian. Holy shit! <laughs> yeah, he but had a had- gift where he could talk to mustelids.
3: Yeah, and then other countries would gift us gift him uh, uh, pets, and then like animals, and he would keep them too, like a fucking wallaby. A pygmy hippo. We got uh, a years ago. Yeah, Years
1: ago, it was David O. Russell's birthday. This is like 15 years ago. And he was shooting a movie. He was doing I heart Huckabees. And on occasion, Russell's been known to enjoy uh, marijuana. And I heard he was enjoying it on that set on occasion. Uh, And so we said, let's gift him for his birthday, two dogs. And we got a friend who had a couple scroungy mutts. And we had someone come by set with a leash and like bullshit papers and say, oh, no, no, wait, we didn't do this to him. We did it to Will Ferrell. That's what we did. (laughs) We gave uh, we gave David Russell a Hummer. We gave we, we actually rented a Hummer and had someone go deliver the papers and keys to him on set. And for like I was told for like five minutes, he believed it. But no, we did it to Ferrell. Carol's harder to get. We, I think there was like 50 seconds of genuine confusion, but my favorite thing is the idea of giving people animals as pets, and I really want to get up the nerve to just start. I might gift your show an animal. It might be coming. I would take oh, it.
3: Just get us like a really smelly serval cat. I would love that, dude. I would love, love to get kicked out of my... miserable thing. It just won't stop whining and peeing <laughs> and pissing all over everything. <laughs>
0: I want to uh, like ha- to have a lawsuit. I have to have against the city uh, that no one is on my side for <laughs> like, it's just like you uni- universally hated. Like I have an animal that should never be kept in an apartment. Like I have like a taper. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I <I'm> think <just laughs> like, was-
0: everyone's just like, fuck you. I get I- screamed at every time I leave my place.
1: I was just saying the other day to my wife, because there's an article about the cherry blossoms in Japan, uh, blossoming 12, like, earlier than they have in like 1200 years. And it was both the most beautiful picture yet creepiest article. So I was predicting next strange events that are going to happen with climate change. And my prediction was a taper appears in San Antonio. That's my prediction. (laughs) I think think this is an extremely positive augury for the future
2: in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's called the taper of good luck.
3: When that taper appears, that is the sign that, uh, that Felix will be getting his samurai sword. Yes. Uh, it was has, the, has to, to be. It. The,
2: the, the first snowy owl uh, spotted since the 19th century in Central Park. Uh, that's a thing now. So the, the, owls are, the owls are coming back.
1: Yeah, I want a taper to bite DeJounte Murray in San Antonio. <laughs> I want, and then, it would be ama- then the story will all watch as no one really cares about the story. That's always a, a heavy part of this. But yeah, Derek White or DeJounte Murray for the Spurs are attacked by a taper. And uh, so I'm, that's, that's my next strain. There was one that was about an orca whale or it was a whale. Maybe it wasn't an orca whale, but there was a whale. I think it was an orca whale in like a harbor in Scotland. And it was just yeah. like, oh, well, whatever. Everyone just moved on.
2: Uh you're listening to uh Animal Chat with uh, Matt
1: Williams Phillips, <laughs> <laughs> film director Adam McKay. You guys uh, uh, you guys are abusing me cuz I will go any direction, I will talk about anything. Uh so yes, you lead and I will follow. Well, you you brought up uh,
2: NBA players, so that's the uh, uh the perfect segue to uh the podcast, uh Death at the Wing, again not about murders at the uh female co-working space, but no, in fact uh, Adam. So, like, basically, like the, the the show is about basketball and the NBA being kind of like a, a skeleton key, like opening the door, or sort of a Rosetta Stone for like translating the culture and politics of the America in the nineteen eighties. Like, how, how did basketball, like, how is that your sort of gateway into this idea?
1: Well, I mean, I, it's obviously my personal kind of lens on it, but as a, as someone who grew up on the dividing line of the seventies and eighties, I got to experience both sides of that fence and I got to experience the radical change and I happen to be an insane NBA fan. So for years, I've just had this question, like, why is it all these guys died in the eighties into the nineties? And like, I've never read any big piece about it. I've, I've heard a lot of stuff about them individually, but it's never been looked at as kind of a a thing that happened. So pretty quickly when we dove into it, we realized it was a little bit like what happened with Hollywood where Hollywood hit and there was a new level of fame in like the sixties. So you had these people dying from pills and alcohol and fifties into the sixties, and then it became cocaine. So we realized it was kind of new kind of fame, tremendous money, but then we noticed that it was also on the back end how strange it must have been. You have these African American guys suddenly making millions of dollars and becoming incredibly famous while their communities are directly under attack. And then that's when we started kicking around this idea that this explosion, the birth of the NBA, harmonized in an interesting way with the rise of the right wing and the Reagan revolution. And then when we got to the point of like Drazen Petrovic, and it was the fall of the Berlin Wall, and then it went into cutting mental health care with Ricky Berry. We're like, oh, wait a minute, this is an interesting, you know, sort of Adam Curtis uh, causality. It's not like direct, but it's really interesting to talk about both narratives next to each other. Well, yeah, I mean, you, I mean, like, yeah, this the, the spate of high-profile deaths
2: of uh, athletes, and you know, probably the. The most famous one being uh, Len Bias. And I guess, like, my most important and pressing question um, about that episode is uh, you can die from doing cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, how much cocaine are we talking here?
1: You definitely can. And it's, uh, there was another guy who died at the same time in football. There was a player for the Bengals, I believe who also died from cocaine. You know what it is? Athletes are uniquely vulnerable to it because NBA players, especially have just these incredibly powerful hearts. So you'll hear about guys like Pete Maravich or Hank gathers is another death from that period who because their hearts are so robust it exposes flaws. So I think that's why you saw it a little bit with the NBA and there's an argument about Reggie Lewis whether it was just a heart defect or was it cocaine so that's another one. Um but yeah, if yeah, uh, long story short, if, if your heart is at all sketchy, you can definitely die from coke.
0: Yeah, bigger guys like yeah, pretty much universally in all sports like they tend to die at younger ages. There was uh, one of the first champions in sort of the modern era of the UFC, Evan Tanner. It wasn't Coke or like drugs necessarily, but yeah, like he got lost in the desert and he did do a lot of drugs. He did have problems with sobriety and like his heart just fucking gave out. Wow. Like it's, yeah.
1: I've never heard that. That's a thing. He got lost in the desert.
0: Yeah, it's it was a wild story, and it like it, it kind of reminded me a lot of this. Where I mean, he didn't necessarily like have the money or the fame of someone like Len Bias, or that Len Bias was going to have, but he was someone who sort of like flamed out from success, who already like had his own demons. But yeah, no guys who are, it's like every inch you go past like six one. You typically, shave like ten years off a guy's life. Oh, Jesus,
1: just one I mean, of those I'm, things. I'm six five. That sucks.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I really am. That's uh, well. It's no, the same the with dogs. If you do athletics. If you never move, you'll be fine. That's what I'm doing because I'm <laughs> six three and I plan to live forever by never moving.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm shaving. Uh, I'm shaving skin off the bottom of my feet every year. I'm like six one flat, and by I think by the time
1: I'm forty five. I'll be down to five three. At that's a, a good height for you. I've always thought. I've always thought that's a good height for you. What's going to be interesting for Felix once he gets his four million dollar samurai sword? What's that going to do to him? Because that's going to be a similar thing where it's explosion of wealth and fame. Your profile's going to triple. Uh, I'd love a behind the music style decline about Felix. I want. To, I want to see Felix just unwind it <laughs> all. Uh, yeah, I can already imagine being interviewed for that
2: segment, being like. I I knew he was going the Mishima route as soon as we got him the sword. I feel guilty about it to this day. <laughs> yeah, I want to do I want to do what
0: Mishima did, but like in Chicago.
2: <laughs> no, you're no tra- yeah, no no, Felix. But yeah, you're trying to inspire the masses to uh to to rally around Emperor JB Pritzker.
0: Yeah, yeah. We have to restore the Illinois Empire, like just something that's never existed. <laughs>
1: What was the place where the Mormons parked? Was that Cairo, Illinois, where they, they posted yes, out for a little yes. while, bring back the greatness of Cairo. Um, yeah. It was crazy. Like looking at these guys too, there's a guy, some of them like were doing a ton of cocaine, drinking a ton of beer. And like, there was like Chris Washburn at one point after he stopped playing, was drinking like a, like a case and a half of beer a day. But Roy Tarpley was a player who would do tremendous amounts of cocaine and then come back and play and still be incredible, still put up like 20 and 20 still be like borderline all NBA. Then he would get busted again, go out, come back 20 and 20. And that's the thing. Like, you know, if, if I'm up till 1am, I can't make a. Free throw, and uh...
2: (laughs) I mean, you know, your 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 series, you know, shows 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 the dark side of cocaine and athletics. But I mean, perhaps you know, both sides need to be illustrated, and you can do a follow up series about the 1980s Mets and uh, how good and successful cocaine made all of them.
1: It was, uh, and uh, and just speed, straight up speed, right? Didn't they have the big bowl of speed before they would go on the field? Uh, yeah, the Mets, uh, there's a lot of happy endings with that crowd, except Benny <laughs> Dykstra, which I would debate is still a happy ending, but that's, that's a controversial
3: opinion I have.
1: But, um, yeah, the Mets, uh, Daryl Straw. who oh, I guess Dwight Gooden isn't doing so great, but, uh, is he all right? Is he clean again? I can't remember. Gooden, Strawberry's doing okay, right? Yeah. It worked pretty well for him. Josh, what's his name? Josh Gordon, the receiver. I mean, once again, God bless him. The guy's struggling hard, but I think he's bounced out of the league. I'm not exaggerating five times and still is so talented that he comes back every time. Is that his name? Josh Gordon, the receiver, used to be for the Browns, went to the Patriots, went to the Seahawks, keeps getting chance after chance because he's so incredible.
2: Uh, I'll take my answer off air, Adam. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But no, I mean, like, when we're talking about it, I mean, like, and and thinking about the the Len Bias episode, I mean, you quote, I think, uh, Radley Balco saying that, like, you know, Len Bias was like the Archduke Ferdinand of America's war on drugs. But, like, you know, but outside of that, like, I mean, just so you get this sense, like, how much, like, was, like, cocaine and it's, like, it's, like, industrial scale import into America, kind of like the phantom thread of, like, the 1980s and, like, in everything,
1: Yeah. I mean, I lived in Miami in the late seventies. So I have like relatives down in Miami and no one's going to say it out loud, but like clearly everyone down there was profiting from all that drug money, just rolling into Miami. And then you're absolutely right. The kind of irrational exuberance, this kind of teeth gnashing greed that hit us in the eighties was all being driven by that club culture. I mean, I, I, I was shocked to hear that Witt Stillman, the filmmaker, actually is a Republican because you watch his movies and they play like brilliant satire of that right wing kind of disco club culture. Um, But I guess they were just incredibly well observed. But it, it was it was I mean, I was alive during it. We were broke as shit. So we were like beer and pot. And then like a friend of mine would get a bottle of Jack Daniels. So it wasn't until I was in college that I had a friend who had a friend from a rich family that could get cocaine because it was really expensive back then. So we were mostly beer and shots and pot, but, uh, but yeah, it was definitely everywhere. And it was definitely part of that wall street kind of mythology. And of course it flowed right through the NBA. I mean, the NBA was just doing what other rich people were doing. They were getting fancy cars. They were doing Coke. They were getting nice clothes. And that's what every successful rich person was doing except of course they happen to be people of color so you know the right wing and and in fairness even the democrat the right wing and the democrats both pounced on this um i think that's another thing that's lost about the reagan revolution is it didn't just hit the republican party it hit both parties full-on smack in the middle of the face and uh and you see it in the len bias thing with tip o'neill and the democrats and joe biden being a part of that omnibus bill the uh, we're on drugs, omnibus bills, so... Every president for the past two decades, Democrat and Republican alike, has declared war on drugs. And each of them has lost that war and lost it miserably. We don't oppose the president's plan. All we want to do is strengthen it. We don't doubt his resolve. All we want to do is stiffen it.
3: The trouble is that the president's proposals are not big enough to deal with the problem.
1: It really was a huge thing because it intersected the crazy wealth, but it allowed people to scapegoat and blame because you had minorities. I mean, yeah, you you bring up the Tip O'Neill and like Joe Biden
2: example as like, you know, like the Democrats to sort of they're like, oh, like, you know, the country's going in this direction. We got to follow suit. You know, we got to remain relevant. And like they come out with this like, yeah, was it like this big the Anti-Drug Abuse Act of 1986, which was, That's yeah, the like, one. established, established yeah. things like this, like, huge disparity in sentencing between crack and uh, powder cocaine. And it was, like, this, for example, of, like it, like, it is, like, the most, like, right-wing authoritarian, like, like surveillance, control, discipline, punishment, all that. And then, like, they send it to the Republicans, and what do they do? They're like, oh, it's not right-wing enough. So it's just, like, like this, it's just like a perfect illustration of, like, the classic method by which, like, the Democrats ensure that policy will only go to the right wing in this country. Exactly. Like, and and
1: someone uh, kind of uh, criticized us because we portray the, the Republicans as just flat out evil. And we portray the Democrats as kind of bumbling and lacking vision. And they're like, why aren't the Democrats evil in that case too? And I was like, you know what? That's a fair point. I can't really argue with that. I mean, it's every bit as craven on the side of the Democrats too, to do that. And maybe in some cases we, because they always play it like they're the Washington generals of political parties. They always play it like they're almost going to win and they just fail. And we've seen that move over and over and over again, either it's that move or it's the total capitulation. And, uh, maybe it is just time to start, you know, reframing it after we've been burned by that move like 75 times. Um, but that's one of the first big ones where you start to see the Democrats really follow the right wing talking points where the right wing talking points are becoming so accepted and popular that it doesn't even occur to the Democrats to counter them.
0: I mean, I would argue that just like not fighting it is kind of like. Even if you just take it like that level of intent that they're too afraid to fight it or they're they're incompetent like that is kind of evil because like if it even if it's just that if you get into that position where you are supposed to be the opposition party and you just completely roll over. Well, it that like that's just sort of yeah, evil through cowardice or evil through not giving a shit.
1: Well, there was a level of naivete, though, don't you think? I mean, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it seemed like the right wing mastered the talking points, the focus groups kind of rewrote the mythology after decades of trial and error. And it did seem like the Democrats were pretty oblivious to it. Like they were just like, what do you mean? It's policy. It's policy. Yeah. And, and they got their butts kicked by now though. That excuse does not hold. That's yeah. for sure. Well, like, have you ever read the, the, uh,
0: that book? Uh, I think it's called the ambition and power. It's like about the downfall of Jim, Wright.
1: No, no, no. What's it it's called, an, The the Ambition of Power?
0: The Ambition and the Power. I'm probably fucking that title up. Uh, but it, it's, yeah, it's about Jim Wright. And it's an interesting book because of, I mean, the Democrats were just, like, completely complacent. Like, sort of a mirror of this time where after Obama or during Obama, it was like, oh, well, we're just going to hold on to the executive branch forever. And then that <laughs> clearly didn't happen. And I think there was sort of a similar mindset with Democrats where it's just like, well, they're never going to take the house from us. So like, who gives a shit?
1: I mean, it's also strange, like, because the Democrats were, you know, even in the eighties, the Republicans were using race baiting. They were appealing to, you know, excesses and income and blah, blah, blah. So they were, they were pretty clearly the bad guys, even in the eighties. And I think the Democrats just assumed they would always be the good guys while they were getting economically captured slowly and slowly to the point where the whole party just became Larry Summers saying, don't rattle the markets. You know, it just all kind of funneled into that. And that's basically where the party's stuck right now. And
3: And it was was easy to do that because the Republicans kept getting worse, which meant that you could also get worse, but still be the good guys because you were getting worse at a slower pace.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, they've been, it's relativity.
3: I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it, it
1: actually is relativity done as an uh, information warfare technique. It's, it's yeah, because really, because there's I mean, no,
3: there's only two parties. There's no third force that can provide a contrast. So you get, you get to define the terms at every point. You don't have to worry about anybody saying, Hey, like, what, where are you relative to where you were even a few years ago? Because there's no, there's no power that can articulate that.
1: I used to we used to do a bit at parties back in the nineties. This writer from SNL would <laughs> would go up to people at crowded parties and start saying, You gotta be careful. There's this weird guy around here who's trying to get people. I think it's a cult. He's trying to and right at that moment I would walk up and I would start to talk to the people about you know all the garbage in their life are they tired of feeling uncertain and my friend would kind of be like acting like i'm a lunatic and then i would eventually leave and then my friend would try and recruit them and and sometimes we would go to the east village which is a really fun place to talk religion with people especially in the 90s and people get so fucking mad at us but we would just do it we Endlessly amused by it, where my friend would play the same person or this other writer, Dennis McNicholas, would do it and be like, I don't know what it is with that guy. Listen, anyway, some friends and I are going to meet tomorrow. We're going to get some coffee, have some muffins. Maybe you want to join it. And they would slowly realize he was in on it. But um, that's <laughs> it. I mean, that's the game. It's, it's 40 years and it's worked just beautifully.
2: I mean, I guess I got another element about, like, the the, the dawn of, like, the the real, like, war on drugs. Like, the major escalation of the war on drugs and, like, how big a role crack played in it. And this, like, this idea of, like, crack is, is like, it's just, like, a racialized version of cocaine. It's, like, the exact same drug. And it points to this idea that, like, you know, the war on drugs and the people who created it and escalated it. Like, yeah, sure. It's about winning elections, and uh, you also make the point that it's about kind of like a, a, a sop to all of the voters who are being lives are being devastated by the the smashing of unions and like the, you know, cutting of the threadbare American social safety net. But it, it, it's also like really like in, in its actual implementation about like an explicitly like
1: racial form of social control and discipline. Absolutely. I, I think I mean, if anything, that might be the real headline and we try and end the episode with it you could argue on some level there's like genocidal qualities to the war on drugs i mean Absolutely. the amount if you look at the numbers mm-hmm. of people that have died not to mention being in prison being stripped of their right to vote fracturing families i mean this is i mean this is one of the things i was talking recently about with a friend is just that like we don't know how to talk about some of these subjects or our popular culture doesn't have any room or isn't designed to talk about some of these subjects with the, the sheer scope of how horrible they are. I was talking about like income inequality in the U S like you'll see articles about it, but like it's a thousand times worse. Like you, you, you can just make sounds about how bad it is and it's the same thing with the war on drugs. Like we talk about it as some policy choice and it affected certain segments of our population. But the raw human toll, um, I, I, I we sort of get to it at the end of the episode. But I, your point is very well taken. It's a thousand times worse than we even think about it when it's written on the page. I mean, yeah,
2: I remember when I was a kid and like the, the, the sort of like the, the anti-drug you know, education and propaganda that, you know, we were subjected to, like, both in terms of, like, TV commercials and, you know, th- part of the school curriculum, like, crack was, like, the most terrifying evil thing imaginable. It was like, yeah, if you touch it once, you'll be, like, hopelessly addicted and you'll be, like, killing your parents or whatever. There was all this stuff about, you know, crack babies, that was like, you know, sort of minting this, like, new generation of, like, mutant super criminals or whatever. And, you know, lo and behold, what we find, like, all of that was bullshit. Like all of that, like like crack babies like aren't a thing. Like yes, like infants are born with like a mild addiction to a drug, but like it, it, certainly as as opposed to like what smoking or drinking does to like have over heavily drinking and smoking, like what that would do during like to a pregnancy as compared to crack cocaine
1: is or is, even is, just ridiculous fumes from gasoline, like what the the devastation of just gasoline and pollution, the amount of people that kills every year. So I grew up on that dividing line. So I grew up in the seventies where we were worshiping Cheech and Chong pot leaves, like drugs were cool. Like drugs were mainstream. Like, you know, Bill Walton for UCLA went to John Wooden and said, look, I'm going to smoke pot. You can either bust me on it or just accept it. And Wooden was like, all right, (laughs) smoke your pot. Like, that was the seventies. And then the eighties, there was like this head jerking turn that was bizarre. Uh, and you know, obviously we don't, it's healthy not to be doing cocaine and a bunch of this stuff, but the sort of anger that it came in with this just immediately, like within six to eight months, it was just this like hard, firm hand had come into our culture. Whereas, Four years earlier, we were laughing at Cheech and Chong. Uh, it was a really strange, sudden turn.
3: And I will say that it totally hooked me because I was a little kid uh, in, in that uh, like hysterical crack uh, cocaine uh, moment, and uh, I did not think drugs were cool at all. In fact, I had a little mini uh, recorder, you know, with a little mini cassette, and I made uh, a tape of anti-drug skits and raps. <laughs> Uh,
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Never, five years into amazing. the show. Let's slow everything this.
2: down. This is the, the lost Christmas tapes. This is the, I, this is I the holy grail. I wish I had grail. this thing. If I, all, I lost it when please, I was, like 10 years please old. Please, talk to your parents.
3: There was, one ra- there was one rap song that I remember recording, but the rest of them was literally just me, pre- like, doing a sketch where it's like, uh, hi, I'd like to buy some crack. Uh, sure, here's the crack. Uh, please. i <laughs> <And> just <laughs> shoot people. home." <laughs> It was just me shooting. It was like little radio sketches of me murdering drug dealers. There is an alternative
0: timeline where you're like you're like a Christian rapper. Yeah, totally. (laughs) That would have been awesome.
3: I actually still remember one line from the rap. And it's about me being. uh, please. uh, It's about I'm being peer pressured by people to get me to do drugs. And they say they said I was weak. They said I should drink tea. And I said, "Sorry, dudes. I like my wits about me." Oh,
1: bars, bars, bars! bars.
2: (laughs) Uh, Drop drop that bomb! Drop that bomb!
1: So you were carrying around the recorder, kind of like the first time the Beatles got high and they were just recording everything. So you were just like, "I've tapped into something larger and more powerful than me. I better carry this recorder around."
3: I I, these drugs are killing people. I need to do something. (laughs) <laughs> I, I, need help uh, I need to help the culture. <laughs> I remember being
1: afraid of Led Zeppelin. I remember being afraid of Led Zeppelin and Ozzy. Yeah, their music Osborne. is way too scary.
2: Their music is way too scary. Yeah,
1: I, I was like in fifth grade, and I had friends playing Ozzy Osbourne. And you forget, Ozzy Osbourne came out in like that, like Blizzard of Oz stuff was like 1979 1980 It was like way ahead of the curve. And my friends were listening to it, and I remember having the thought, like. Is it possible this actually is devil music? That was that was kind of my moment like you were the recorder although near, not nearly as complex or disturbing or
3: uh... <laughs> cool that's the word you're looking
1: for. <laughs>
2: I mean this funny is like I, I feel like, like like most of the the anti-drug education I received just like taught me about drugs that I otherwise wouldn't have known about like when they're like just like there's things out there they're called psychedelics, it's like mushrooms, LSD, acid is what it's called. And if you take it, you will, you know, you'll begin to see things and you'll begin to, like, see things like the cartoons you watch on TV, but they're real and happening
1: to you. And I was just like, okay, interesting. I'm just going to just take a little note there. I know. So there's stories because you, of course, weren't going to listen to Nancy Reagan. You were going to, that just, Nancy Reagan was the dream person to say, don't do something to make me want to do it. In, in one of the episodes, I think it's the Len Bias one, a Richard Dumas, who was a forward for the Sons who had substance abuse issues, he actually said, Nancy Reagan saying, don't do it, made us want to do it more. And I, I think that was our experience too, was when we heard all this, you know, this is your brain on drugs, and it just made it like a joke because the ads were so square, unless you were nine, 10 years old, you were going to listen to Carlos Castaneda or uh, you know uh, Jim Morrison more than you were going to listen to Nancy Reagan.
3: Well, I mean, it makes sense. It, it, you could kind of imagine it's part of the, the broader uh, uh, marketing push. Since while the t- while Mar- Nancy's out there saying just say no, her f- husband's administration is uh, p- moving more weight than any cartel <laughs> on earth. It's, it's, it's like you got hey guys, don't do drugs with quotation marks. We got to fund these Contras somehow.
1: The episode came out and a friend of mine who grew up in South Central is like, man, you should have called me. I would have put you in touch with people who were getting drugs from the government. (laughs) And that's one, friend, you know, right away, someone just tells me like, oh, yeah, they had a whole system where you get a flag on your house. And that, no, this is anecdotal, this is being told to me by a friend, so I'm not saying this definitely happened, but it was just funny that immediately, the episode just came out on Wednesday, immediately a friend was like, why didn't you call me, that was going on in South Central, I was like, oh yeah, you're right, so, I mean, is that, what's the status on that, is it now, is it like 100% fact that the government was moving crack cocaine and cocaine in uh, the inner cities in the U.S.? Uh, Adam,
2: uh, according to the CIA's Twitter account, they've looked into the issue and uh, found no evidence for this. So, so that's you know, that. Yep, yeah. That's All
1: right. So it didn't
3: happen. All right. Thank fiction. you. I need totally clarity on that. It's false. No way. Not this time. Yeah. I think it's pretty well established that the bare, bare minimum that even the CIA has admitted is that their, uh, their associates <laughs> uh, in, in the, Uh, War on the Contras were, in fact, moving uh, cocaine, often with uh, CIA personnel doing the moving uh, and CIA airplanes and stuff like that. Uh, But I I would say pretty confidently that they were aware of it. I mean, the the intelligence community has moved drugs since it was founded. It's like the best way to get it's it's a it's an instant source of liquid cash for any project you might want to carry off. It's true.
1: Yeah. And I knew that. I knew that they were overseeing and using the drug trade. I just always wondered about the direct contact with the drug trade. It actually doesn't, now that I say it out loud, doesn't sound like something they would do. Mm -hmm. They would have middlemen. They would have associates doing it. The idea of an
3: actual CIA agent going to like Crenshaw and like, yeah, no, they wouldn't need to. They have yeah. people that they, they they have cutouts and contractors at every point to do that kind of stuff. They just need to make sure that they're getting their beaks wet.
1: Was it Halderman? Who was the Nixon uh guy who said on his deathbed, just outright said, Yeah, we created the war on drugs so we could put hippies and black people in prison. Yeah, was I one think of
3: the- it was I think it was Ehrlichman, but yeah, it was one of those two guys in his book. Yeah, yeah he just said, Yeah, we Yeah, he we just said, Look to- at our political
2: enemies. Like and yeah. like they're the people who do dope. So yeah, it's
1: a no brainer for us. So when people trying to argue about it, I'm like, oh, no, they, I think you're right. I think it was Ehrlichman. I was like, no, they admitted it. Like, I love things like Fog of War, the movie Fog of War, where just McNamara looks at the camera and just says it was a disaster. The Vietnam War was a bad idea. Like, we were talking about that documentary might have had more of an impact than just about anything I've ever seen before, because there was an argument at that time kicking around that the Vietnam war did have some advantages, that it did do some good stuff. And then that documentary came out and it was just over. You never heard that ever again.
0: That documentary had a tremendous effect on me as a child because I, um, before that documentary, I wanted to be a green beret who comes back and is a liberal Senator.
1: (laughs) And and
0: then when I saw it in like 2004, I was like, Oh, like war is bad. Okay. I think you
1: right. should still keep that dream. That's a good one. That's like Billy Imagine Jack.
3: what you could do in the Senate with that samurai sword.
1: Oh. That's true. Yeah. It
0: would be like, yeah, it would be the reverse of the, uh, who is the Confederate guy? Charles Sumner. You uh, beat Charles that to death?
1: With the, the cape. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It would be the so reverse the cane, yeah. of that. Do you know there's a speech from Jeb Bush, and I'm not kidding, where he went on the floor of the state legislature in Florida. And held a samurai sword and did a speech about it and talked about. Oh yeah, the I've, heard, code. I've, heard, I've
3: seen that. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> unboxing video, Bush family edition. No, it's, it's <laughs> like uh, I think it was
3: called like the Sword of Chang or something. Uh, no,
0: okay, no, yeah,
2: yeah, so that's a joke in the
0: Bush family. Yeah, unleashed So the Sword yeah. of Chang Changhai Shek. It was it's Shanghai
3: Hai sword. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. So like George H. W. Bush when he was making fun of like birchers and more hard right people in the party. They would. uh They were saying like, "Oh, I know. How, we shouldn't open up China. We should defeat China by unleashing Chang." Well, that was, by, that, like, was setting-
3: that was that was a thing that Bercher said. They said we should be using Taiwan as like a staging ground for re yeah. of China. Yeah, Jeez. and
0: and but H W Poppy when he was playing tennis against people and he was losing, he'd be like, "Oh, don't make me unleash Chang." <laughs> like it was like, "Oh, wouldn't that be ridiculous if we did that?" Like, isn't that so fucking stupid? But his dumbass son. Was like, oh yeah, unleash Chang, the cool thing my dad talked about.
1: Is that the Jeb Bush speech in Florida? Is that what yeah. it was? Yeah. Oh man, I got to get a transcript of that. Yeah, because it was maybe it was even you guys. I heard this from someone was talking about how Jeb Bush is much stranger than he's ever given credit for. Like he's actually a really weird dude who said a lot of strange things through
3: the years. Even good though little, he was supposedly good the little good, little good moose. son, I'll never good forget son. him petting that moose. I'm saying good little moves. moves. (laughs) He's like
0: he's as you would expect, like someone who's was born to those parents to be like, just like a completely blunted human affect.
1: I always say that you can tell the line when you see a family where all the kids are in like their thirties, forties and fifties, and they still call the parents daddy and mommy. Like that's it. That's all you need to know.
2: Um, the other, one of the other things I, I was thinking about listening to the show and like the, the Lynn Bias episode and you brought up like a little, a little earlier, like talking about this dramatic shift in like our American culture from the 70s to the 80s, like going from like, where, hey, like Cheech and Chong is like, you know, everyone's favorite comedians, like smoking a doobie, man, like that's fun and cool. and the the way the which the way in which the word malaise became like such a prominent thing in like our American like sort of political lexicon and the idea that like uh, Reagan ended the malaise of the seventies like what what do you think people are really like mean when they talk about the malaise of the seventies because I think it's just like the, the findings of the Church Committee is what they're talking about and like getting past all that and by getting past all that I mean erasing all of it and pretending like it never happened and but like but also like just like the, the broader culture of kind of like a a a A freedom and kind of like a opening up of American society that was like the door to that was just slammed shut. I think that
1: because if you look at what happened, a lot of it is exactly how a democracy is supposed to function. You had a free press bust a corrupt president, you had people across party lines make sure that president would no no longer hold power. You ended an insane war, although. We kind of just lost that war is really the reason we left. But still, we ended it. Poverty was at, I believe at that time, the early 70s, an all-time low for the whole nation. Unions were strong. And I think it was the peak of self-governance for people. I think it was like the high point for America where citizens were actually somewhat responsible for governing. And Carter talked to them like that. And he said, like, look, we're in a rough spot right now. We've got the oil crisis, we've got stagflation. He never actually said the word malaise in that famous speech, but I think everyone just freaked out. It was almost like too much. Like you forget that we just haven't had democracies for that long. And there was this moment where, it was just all too much. It was all too real. <laughs> and, you know, we just learned that MK ultra was real. We, you know, the Vietnam war stagflation, all this stuff, the president talked to us like actual grownups. And I remember being a little kid and hearing that China had called America paper tiger and asking my parents what that meant. And there was a general feeling that America was really down and out. so, Yeah. Whether it was just too much, whether it was the, you know, democracy taken to probably its highest point in America, or whether it was never going to go in that direction. I'm not exactly sure, but that Reagan voice, when it hit, because I was in sixth grade, seventh grade, I had no interpretation of it. I didn't care right wing, left wing. I just remember everyone was very calmed by him and very excited. And it was, the greatest casting choice in, in history. And even my parents who were Democrats were, didn't really hate him that much. I thought it was a little ridiculous that he was a movie star. Like I can't believe they elected this guy, but there was a general calm that he brought. I mean, obviously I'm generalizing like crazy because there were tons of people that were pulling their hair out and saying, what the hell are we doing? But you know, uh, one of the, the interviews we do in that episode, uh, one of our guests, I think it's, uh, Is it Jane Mayer? Someone says that uh, it was remarkable how little outcry there was over the Reagan agenda. That it, It was shocking. You'd think he was undoing the Great Society, the New Deal. You know, he cut taxes down. I believe it was 26%. It was like radical radical things and there really wasn't that much of an outcry I, and and that's what i remember anecdotally from that time i mean to get back to the democrats for
2: a second i think another fun, a funny thing in the the one bias episode is like uh, tip o'neill's role in all of this as like the boston guy and i mean i i, I don't know like how, how directly this is implied but i certainly have the thought that like in a, a, a real animating force behind a lot of this like truly cruel and draconian uh, drug prosecution was just the fact that, like, cocaine robbed the Celtics of, like, another championship? <laughs>
1: you know what? I don't think that's that crazy. I mean, I'm not saying it's the driving force because it, it, there's certainly a lot of incentives to do it. But, I mean, the Celtics were the whitest team in the NBA. I mean, they were the team where Red Auerbach had tried to put a diverse team on the court in the 60s and in the 70s. He did. He was one of the most progressive, uh, you know, coaches, team presidents of the time, with having a black team on the court, and they couldn't sell tickets in Boston. They were winning all those championships, and they were still the fourth sport. Like people, as a kid, I lived in Worcester, Massachusetts. All, I, I never heard about the Celtics. It was always the Bruins and the Red Sox. That was it. And so he then made the switch and he was like, all right, I got to get white guys. And he just started and it got crazy. I mean, it got to the point where like, you know, he's going for white superstars, but then it's even like the 11th, 12th man. It's like Rick Carlisle. Greg kite. I mean, every Jerry Seesting, like this just murderers row of C basketball players that the, if they were out there, the Celtics or the jazz, the Utah jazz, we're going to grab them. You knew those two teams. Um, and the Celtics were the world champions too. They had just won an 86. Uh, so I, I don't think that's a preposterous statement. I mean, it did ripple all around the country and sports, Sports are like at the center of everything. It's like sports, sex and sleep and food, you know? So I do think it had an impact. There you go, folks.
2: Once again, it has been established over and over again. The Boston sports fandom is basically the dark heart beating at the center of all American evil.
1: (laughs) I'm from Worcester, so I I can't. uh, (laughs) I grew up in Worcester and I can't comment on that, although I did move to Philadelphia which may have had an even crazier fan base than Boston. We love, we love, we love our garbage city, Philadelphia. Love Philadelphia. Oh, my God. That's where I, you get a dog with its, all the hair on its back end scratched off. That's where.
3: <laughs> that's First funny. time I was in Philadelphia, there was a, in, just in front of a building, there was a completely painted black vending machine.
2: Oh, my God. I remember that. That was great. I, I, to this day, I wonder, yeah, what, what was up with that? It was just, wow. yeah, like, what do you what do
3: you get from it? Did you guys <laughs> look? I, I now want to know what was we, inside we looked, that. We tried to, like, I don't think it was plugged in. Uh, I think
0: you get sucked into it if yeah. you put a dollar in.
3: Yeah, like, that's sort of a, Steve, there's a Stephen King story based on that vending machine. There was, sure. I
1: don't know what, what year this was, but about, like, six years ago, there were hand grenade vending machines around the country. It's possible you may have seen one. Do you remember that? <laughs> 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 well,
2: I think about that just about does it for today's episode. Uh once again I want to thank uh Adam McKay and the new podcast is Death at the Wing. Thanks
1: you guys for having me on. Always uh, a, pleasure. A, a joy to come by.
2: All right, cheers cheers guys until next time. Bye.